Well, hello, everybody. You can go ahead and take a seat. Thank you, worship team. As many of you know, we are in the book of Galatians, so go ahead and open up to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas, your Bible may say Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing the party of the circumcision. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before everyone, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Now, Galatians 2, 11 through 14 will be our main text for the night, but I sort of want to set the stage before we get deeper into things. And I, I really want us to take a good look at the context to understand and frame this passage correctly. In chapter 1, as you will remember, Paul begins with his introduction in verses 1 through 5. Then he quickly moves into a rebuke of the Galatian churches. That's verses 6 through 10. That was the last time I was up here. But by verse 13 of chapter 1, Paul shifts his writing style and his writing content. He shifts from talking about how the Galatians are sinning into a number of stories from Paul's life. He changes from writing a prescription to writing a description. He starts by addressing the Galatians directly, saying this is what you're doing wrong and you need to stop doing that. And then he shifts into telling a number of narratives. This descriptive portion of the book spans from chapter 1, verse 13, until the end of chapter 2. And contained within that, or comprising that, is, as I count it, five stories from Paul's life. Others may say three um, I see five, the number really is incidental. Five stories from Paul's life. Our text tonight is the fifth and final story in that section. But in order to understand this passage of scripture, we need to first know, why is he telling stories in the first place? Why did he change up his modus operandi? Why in the world is Paul telling all of these stories? Because here's the thing. It would be really easy to take this text and, and simply make it about anxiety and peer pressure, what the Bible calls the fear of man. Or uh, I could take it and, and, and make it just about calling out uh, sinning teachers or just hypocrisy in general or the purity of the gospel in word and deed, all of which are in the text, all of which are totally valid. 
But I, I don't think that is actually the, the primary point of the passage. I think you have to zoom out a bit to see that. Galatians 2, 11 through 14 is a great passage for us to be reminded not to lose the forest as we're looking at the trees. Looking at grammar and sentence structure and word studies and all of that is good and necessary for Bible study. But if we forget the underlying reason for what's being said, then we really kind of miss the point, right? And if anything, I would hope that in our Bible study we would walk away at least knowing the main point. And so take a step back with me again into chapter 1. Now, like I said, he begins in verses 1 through 5 with his introduction. He introduces himself, his apostleship, who's writing with him, all these things. Then he moves to his rebuke in verses 6 through 10. But between the end of his rebuke, verse 10, and the beginning of his narratives, his stories, which is in verse 13, there is this small two-verse paragraph, which I think acts as Paul's header for these five stories. It sets the stage for what he's going to talk about and why. And for us, it will be the litmus test to know if we are understanding our passage correctly. This is chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, For I make known to you, brothers, that the gospel which I am proclaiming as good news is not according to man. For I I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul, not tall, Paul talks about the kind of gospel he proclaims how he got it, but most importantly, from whom he got it. In other words, just to put this in plain language, this is about the origin of the gospel. Where does the gospel come from? Who does the gospel come from? Who does Paul's gospel come from? It is not according to man, he says. He didn't receive it from man, nor was he taught it. He received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He got it straight from the source. Got the gospel from the gospel himself. Paul is defending the divine origins of the gospel, and so the truth and authority of the gospel, but also his authority as an apostle and a preacher of the true gospel. Paul actually begins the book in the same sort of way, with with that same kind of defense. Look in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He makes it abundantly clear that he didn't receive his gospel from men because he says over and over, basically, that, that nobody really had met him for a long time. In chapter 1, verse 17... After he is saved, uh, it says that he did not go to sit under the teaching of the apostles. Rather, he went away to Damascus. In verses 18 through 22, after three years, he finally meets Peter and James. But he was still unknown by sight to the churches in Judea. He didn't receive teaching from them either. Then in chapter 2, after another 14 years... 
So we're talking 17 years at this point. It's been a long time. He goes to those of reputation. Verse 6 records he didn't go so that he could be taught by them. But as verse 2 says, he went to verify that the gospel he had been proclaiming was indeed the same they had been proclaiming, that it was indeed the true gospel. And he was verified. Look at chapter 2, verses 7, 8, and 9. He was verified that he was entrusted with the gospel by Christ, verse 7. Uh, That Christ, who worked in Peter, also worked in Paul, verse 8. And that grace had been given to him by Christ, verse 9. In other words, Paul is telling this story, these stories, to support the claim that his message and authority comes from Christ and not men. All of this context frames up and brings us to our text. Paul has been proving the point that his gospel comes from God and he did not receive it from men. And our text is the final entry in his litany of stories to illustrate and prove that. And so we've seen the forest. Now let's look at the trees. Take a look at verse 11, the beginning of our text. But when Cephas came to Antioch, that is the church at Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now Antioch was not an obscure church by any means. Rather, it was the first Gentile church. Uh, And the church from which we all get our name. It was the church where the believers were first called Christians. Which being named Christian, I appreciate. (laughs) Thank you guys. Matthew Henry relates the church at Antioch to the church at Jerusalem, saying basically that Antioch was the the Christian hub for the Gentile world, just as the church at Jerusalem was the Christian hub for the Jewish world. Peter walks into this like the, the Gentile church of Gentile churches. And then he he pulls this stunt, as we will get more familiar with as we go. Paul pulls no punches when he sees what Peter does. And he opposes one of the original 12. Not only to his face, but in front of the entire church. This was an intense moment. And he opposed the apostle Peter because it says he stood condemned. And that word condemned really just leaps off the page, doesn't it? Not condemned to hell, to be sure. I don't think Paul's point is that Peter lost his salvation. Surely that's impossible. Or that he apostatized or anything like that. Rather, he stood condemned because what he was doing was sinful. As the passage goes on to describe, he was acting as if the party of the circumcision or the Judaizers, he was acting as if they were right. Like the gospel is faith plus works. We'll examine that more as we go. But the great apostle Peter is nothing compared to the truth of the gospel. The great apostle Peter is nothing compared to the truth of the gospel. Martin Luther If you don't know, Martin Luther was the man who started the Protestant Reformation, our break from the Roman Catholic religion. 
Actually, that's what Protestant means. It means protester, protestant. A Protestant is someone who protests the Roman Catholic religion. Martin Luther himself was originally a Catholic monk. And it was actually this book, the book of Galatians, that really got him to understand salvation by grace alone through faith alone. This is what kick-started the Protestant Reformation. This is why I'm not wearing a funny hat and have a little white square right here. (laughs) Martin Luther says this of our text, of Paul opposing Peter. As I've said before, for Paul, the issue entailed the principal teaching of the Christian faith. For whoever values that which in itself is useful and majestic, everything else seems vile and despicable. Who is Paul? Who is Peter? Who is an angel from heaven? Of what value are all other creatures when compared to the central teaching of justification? No one is exempt from correction. No one is infallible but God himself. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that the Bible is fallible. Certainly the scriptures are infallible. That doesn't mean that the writers of scripture were always infallible, that they could not possibly sin. And even Peter himself was subject to that. By publicly rebuking Peter, Paul makes it known what the hierarchy is. Uh, Not setting himself above Peter, but rather setting apostles as subservient to the revelation of Christ. They had no authority to change it. It came through them, surely, but they had no authority to change it. The gospel was not according to them, not according to man. It is according to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even they, even the apostles themselves, were not privileged to a private, personalized, or customized gospel. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. And the apostle that wrote that scripture is the very one being rebuked in our passage. The gospel is not according to man. It is according to Christ. Continue on with me to verse 12. For prior to the coming of certain men from James... He, that is Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to shrink back and separate himself, fearing the party of the circumcision. It wasn't just that Peter arrived in Antioch and wouldn't eat with the Gentile believers. He had a pattern of eating with them already. He had a pattern of acting in accordance with the truth of the gospel. But when the naysayers arrived, he just sort of rolls over, just sort of dissolves, and all of that Peter bravado evaporates. The party of the circumcision, if you're unaware, was a group that believed that Gentiles could become Christians, but they must be held to the ceremonial laws of Judaism. Sometimes they're called the Judaizers, which really rolls off the tongue quicker than the party of the circumcision. Don't forget also that the people messing with the Galatian churches 
the distorters of the gospel that Paul is, the whole reason that Paul is writing this letter, they are Judaizers. They're of the same party. Might not be the exact same people, but they were of the party of the circumcision as well. The false teaching espoused by the group in Paul's account is the very same false teaching that is troubling the Galatian churches now. Once the Judaizers arrive, Peter's actions begin to change. My Bible says that he began to shrink back and separate himself. He leaves the Gentile believers whom he was eating with. And we don't have to question what his motivations were. The text is very clear. It was because he was fearing the party of the circumcision. Need I remind you of chapter 1, verse 10? Am I now seeking the favor of men? Peter was now seeking the favor of men. And in seeking the favor of men, he was afraid of their disfavor. Afraid of being unpopular with the Judaizers, of causing conflict. This is what is called the fear of man. And it is characteristic, really, of our generation. And let me just point out this very obvious fact. Peter's fear is the reason he sinned. You understand? His desire to be liked by this group over and above his desire to love God is the reason he sinned. To put this in plain language, actually, let's take a step back. What's worse than his own sin is the fact that he got the rest of the Jews to sin, right? Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. And so we have this one man's fear leads to widespread sin in this church. So just to put this in plain language, like Peter went to have dinner with the church that he's been visiting for some time. And this posse comes bursting through the doors and he knows what they're thinking. They disapprove of what I'm doing. They're going to get upset with me. I'm going to have to argue with them with my mouth full of food. By the way, he knows this because he's already debated the Judaizers about this exact problem about eating with Gentiles. He's debated them already. And he won. Go read the first section of Acts 11. They come to him with the same gripe. And he won that time. And yet here, in this situation, he's thinking, what if they don't like me? What if this upsets them? And so he picks up his first century tray and he separates away from the Gentiles. And I realize making it sound like, like a, a lunchroom scene kind of makes it a bit juvenile. His sin is much worse than I'm portraying it so far. He moves, pulling away 
with him the rest of the Jews in the church and Barnabas. But worse than that, look at Paul's appraisal of his actions. Look at the first part of verse 14. But when I, that is Paul, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. This is not just about hypocrisy or peer pressure. Their actions were a reflection on the truth of the gospel. Is there no more heavy weight that you can lay? And a great illustration of that beautiful verse, whether I eat or whether I drink or whatever I do, do it all to the glory of God. Notice Paul says they, they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. All of them. Peter, Barnabas, the Judaizers, the Jews in the church. The only people not included in that list are those being sinned against, the Gentile believers, and Paul. That's it. Peter's hypocrisy mangled the gospel witness and infected the church he was in. And what is Peter's hypocrisy? Let's be a a bit more clear about this. What about the truth of the gospel is he not being straightforward with? The verse continues, the last half of verse 14. I said to Cephas before everyone, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? He basically says, you were acting as if the ceremonial law was no longer binding. You were eating with the Gentiles. But now you bind their consciences as if it is now in effect, and they are required. He was not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel, that you are not justified by outward procedures or rituals, that justification is by grace alone through faith alone, But principally, and I I want you to see this because this is Paul's point in telling the story. He was not being straightforward that the gospel is according to God. That's why Paul's telling the story in the first place. Peter is acting as if he can augment the gospel. Actually, as if the Judaizers can augment the gospel and, and he's really just submitting to them. He has no right to act as if he can alter or augment it just because he's afraid of what people might think or say. And what's further, in the text, the phrase not being straightforward about the gospel and hypocrisy are used as synonyms. In other words, it is a sin not to be straightforward about the gospel. He had no right to be anything but straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And as a small point of application, nobody alive has any right to be anything but straightforward about the gospel. You have no right to sugarcoat, butter up, dance around the issue, speak the truth, and do it in love, be gracious but be straightforward about the gospel. 
One of the most interesting facts, I was commiserating with Jeff about this earlier. One of the most interesting facts about this whole passage, if you read until the end, Peter's response to Paul's rebuke is not recorded. It, there's no dialogue between them. It's just a monologue from Paul. It's just Paul rebuking him, and then it, and then it ends. Why is that? I'll remind you again, this is not about Peter's hypocrisy. That's not the point. This is not about, primarily, this is not about how Peter wasn't straightforward with his gospel. This is about the origin of Paul's gospel. Paul was straightforward about the truth of the gospel in contrast to the Judaizers and Paul and the Jews and Barnabas. Paul's gospel was not of human invention like the mutilated gospel of the Judaizers, but it was of divine origin. Paul did not receive his gospel from men as the Judaizers did and were passing on to Peter and Barnabas and the Jews. He received it from Christ. And because of this, because of the origin of the gospel, because of who it comes from, the, the term is etiology, the, the study of origins, the etiology of the gospel is divine. It comes from God. Because of that, Paul can oppose other men. He can oppose men with authority. If, if it came from men, if it was just a gospel of human invention, then it would just be one gospel of men versus another gospel of men. But if it has divine origin, that changes everything. Because of that, he can oppose the gospels of men. He can condemn the gospels of men. He can look at the crowd in front of him. Think about all the people he was facing. The Judaizers, all the Jews in Antioch, Barnabas, his partner, and the top dog, Peter. He can look at them and he can oppose them because they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. And to take a, a bigger step back, this is why he can look at the Galatian churches and rebuke them. This justifies the existence of the entire book. It is only because he has authority from God and because the gospel is from God that he can actually write the epistle of Galatians in the first place and call them to be straightforward with the gospel. Because the origin of your gospel matters. A gospel that comes from man damns and a gospel that comes from God carries divine authority.